0: judge this is episode number 142 my name is cj schrader and with me semi always i got brian frilliman here hello interwebs it's awkward that i say as always and then you know they're not you guys aren't technically always here no no so we're missing Jess today but we have three fabulous guests on wait three three
1: so we need to bring three people on to be one jess yes
0: oof yeah so, all right, first off, we got the man so nice they named him twice, W. Matt Williams.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: <laughs> the, the Sylvan Ranger, Jared Silva. Hey, how's it going? And uh, Ricky, hi, how you doing, Hayashi?
3: So if there's three of us <laughs> and two of you, does that mean it's our
0: show now? Uh, uh, I think so. If you just well, talk enough, yeah. Yeah.
1: Here, here's the thing, though. I don't though. think that's
0: going to be a problem. At any
1: moment now, CJ could just stop recording, and then what will happen to oh, you? Oh, jeez.
2: That assumes that CJ's
0: recording. We yeah, that, that actually is. Right. Oof, like a token. Yeah, let's not yes. tempt that. So uh, on this lovely episode, we wanted to talk about Grand Prix DC.
1: Yes, Never heard of just, it. We just finished it this weekend. So yeah. We still haven't caught up on sleep <laughs> yet. Yeah. That was a Saturday. What's that? It was a Saturday. It was it's just a plain old normal Saturday.
2: Yes. An average Saturday in the judge life.
3: Oof. Jared Jared's actually making reference to the M Bison quote from the Street Fighter movie. <laughs> to you, Grand Prix DC was the most
2: glorious event of your life. To us, it was a Saturday.
3: Okay. And CJ will link to that video in the show notes. Oh, right. why? <laughs> <laughs> And so it begins. <laughs> All right.
1: That's amazing. I, I was a little <laughs> bit worried, but now now I'm happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so GP uh, DC. So I know I read that it was the eighth largest GP ever. And then did it say it's the largest team GP? Oh, yeah. Okay. The largest team GP before then
2: was Detroit last year with 2040 players. So how many people were at DC? Three thousand three hundred and sixty six in the main event,
3: wow, I was hoping you would say a number that wasn't divisible by three <laughs> <laughs> All right
1: so okay, wow, so that's that is a lot of players so how many how many total people showed up for g p d c that weekend?
2: We had wow. over forty five hundred players uh participate in events,
1: so that's was it, that's about twelve twelve hundred didn't play in the main event,
2: yeah, right around there.
1: So they came just for the Sunday Super Series or Foiled Again. Challenge badges. Challenge uh, badges.
2: A lot of people came for the Commander, commander as well. Yeah, I, is, I think I, was gonna say, I think that it's an overlooked aspect of the Grand Prix is just the number of people who don't even play in the main event. The, yeah, I agree. The other part is a large percentage of what goes on that weekend, for each of those weekends. Yeah, it's become more and more of a focus for us because the, the main event, you know, you deal with a majority of the people who come, but not by a not by a wide margin, um, on Saturday. But then on Sunday, obviously, even with the six and three cut making it about twenty five percent of the field making day two, um, you're obviously not dealing with the majority of the people over in the the Grand Prix area. And so, uh, at Grand Prix Atlanta, we actually had more unique players participate in a side event over the weekend than we had participate in the main event. In D.C., it was uh, about 3,300 to about 2,800, I think, in terms of players who participated in the main versus players who participated in side events. And um, that obviously includes a fair amount of overlap. But uh, if you play in the main event and then you go play in side events, side events is probably just as important to how it, how good your weekend is as the main event is
3: well what i what i told a lot of the judges was if someone in the main event in in the grand prix has a bad experience they they're still most likely going to come back to the next grand prix yeah because someone who plays in a grand prix is already pretty well invested in in the magic brand and in organized play if someone just comes for a side event and they have a bad experience a they're not going to come to the next grand prix B, they might just quit magic because they're not as invested in in the entire product. So, I, I think side events are very important in terms of the experience that you give players. Absolutely.
1: So, so that's let's give a uh, let's roll back a little bit and just talk about like a, a, t- a team sealed uh, event in general. So
0: okay, so it's Brian. Yeah, let me roll back yes. even further because I realize okay. that people uh-huh. might have no idea why these three people are on the episode. Oh, further. They might want to know that. So, Jared, no. so first off, this is a Star City Games event. This is a Star City Games GP. So, Jared and Ricky, that's why you all are here. Plus, you know, we never turn you down if you ask to be on.
4: <laughs> um, I,
2: I think I've gotten onto Judge Cast a couple of times by tweeting at you. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it'll work. Feet? Not, not much. So, I think that it has an impact when it happens.
0: <laughs> we all just drop what we're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so so both Jared and Ricky work for Star City Games as well as being level four judges and just all around handsome men. And what do you want me to call you on this episode, Billy Willie? You can call me whatever you'd like. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> all right, uh, all right, so <laughs> Steve, Steve won't work. <laughs> Steve here, uh, was 2.0. playing, yeah, so he was playing in the event. You were on Jess Dunks' team, right?
2: Uh, well. I think
0: Jess was just just you know what you're 100 percent right. <laughs> I don't
2: know who was player B. And I, I was not. player B. Oh, Dunks was on your team. Okay.
0: Yes. Nope. uh And yeah, so uh,
2: Dunks uh, and uh, Brian Spellman from Denver were my teammates for the weekend, and w- it was a nice experience to switch from a more traditional judge role uh, because I do have far more grand Prixs under my belt as a judge than I do as a player. <laughs> so you yeah. could just switch and see the player point of view and kind of get that perspective again and really do appreciate all the efforts that judges do put into the event.
0: Yeah, and so Steve is here to give a little bit of the player ex- <laughs> the player experience. Uh, I I, w- I want to call you on something. I was pretty sure that the the team
2: name had you in seat A. On on Friday we uh tested with dunks in the middle. Okay. And he did not like that seat as much. Okay. And we put uh, me in the middle because I like to talk more than the
4: other two. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
2: (laughs) And I became the – basically my role was to communicate what I was seeing from the middle of our opponent's decks and make sure that we were actually talking. Okay. That's disappointing because I liked your team name on Friday.
1: (laughs) Who's your team name
2: on Friday? Is
0: it Family Safe? (laughs)
1: Oh, oh yeah, funny. Well, oh, yeah, I guess William it has to be. William <laughs> Don Spellman.
0: William Don <Duns>, Spellman. So...
1: <laughs> that was the team name? Yeah. Because it's last, it's,
2: it's last names, it's, and so the three... <laughs> only one's a verb.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh, <laughs> oh now, now that you think about it. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about so, Team Sealed.
1: So, yeah. So a team, seal, a team Sealed event, for the most part, is you and two other buddies uh, get a number of packs, and out of 12 that, packs. Out of 12, twelve packs. Twelve, packs.
2: 12 if, packs. If it's a number of packs, the event might not be sanctioned.
1: <laughs> uh, so you get your twelve packs. You then construct your best three decks that you can out of those twelve packs, uh, where, and then you register your deck lists. And when you play, you are playing against another team. So. There's, you have three players on your team, an A, a B, and a C. They have uh, three players on their team, an A, a B, and a C. And the A plays the A, the B plays the B, the C plays the C. And the first team to two wins or two match wins wins the 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 match for the the uh, the, the team. And you advance as a team or you drop as a team. It's pretty. Or
2: cool. you get DQ'd as a team. That that sadly happens. If if one of if one of your teammates decides that uh, perhaps they do not wish to obey the rules of magic and gets uh, removed from the event, you get dragged along with them.
1: Yeah, you do want to make sure that the people that you're playing with are people that you can trust not to not to do something stupid.
2: No, Jared, just to to touch on that, you all three don't get disqualified. The the one person's disqualified. The team is not allowed to continue without that
1: person.
4: <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs>
2: um, and yeah, actually, and then, since the way that Walter handles all of these things is by team, the team gets disqualified, and then in the oh, fun. the write-up, uh, okay. you'll have to specify which player actually did the thing.
1: And and as a as a team, one of the neat things uh, about this is you can actually uh, talk to your teammates. While you're while you're playing, so you can lean over and you know say like, "Hey, don't attack with that or attack with that."
2: One of the big or... ones is you can help with Mulligan decisions. Yeah. Yes. Would you? So the sanity check on Mulligan is probably my favorite thing. <laughs> uh, we really enjoyed the Mulligan decisions and cyborg choosing choices was was helpful.
0: So let's talk about that for a second. So it's team sealed. So each, how many packs does this team get? 12
2: packs. 12 packs. Uh, for this event, it was four packs of Battle for
0: Zendikar, eight packs of Oath of the Gatewatch. And so you make one big pool, and then you build three decks out of that. How does the sideboard work? Uh, we One of the responsibilities of the team, uh, if you're registering the decks, is to divide this all
2: of the cards in the pool to one of the three players. To each player, it's a portion. So if you have a, a sweet sideboard card like, say, a Plummet, one of the three players has that for their sideboard.
0: Okay.
1: And you, and no swapping around. Once it's yours, it's it's yours. That's correct. It's interesting. All right. So, so that kind of sets that that format or that that setup kind of sets the stage for uh, this this weekend, at least from a main event standpoint. So, I have a, I have a question, uh, Jared. When, because these sealed events or these team sealed events are so different uh, logistically, when When Wizards of the Coast contacts you guys and says, hey, we want you to do uh, GP in this city and the format is Team Sealed, Uh, is the reaction, you know, wow, that's really cool, that's really unique, that's really awesome, or is it, oof, that's... Well, uh, it's
2: it's part of both because uh, these events are great. it's It's an environment that you can't replicate at an individual event because... You know, One of the great things about the Magic community is you get to go and you get to play with your buddies, but at Team Sealed, you actually get to go and play with your buddies. You're there with at least two people that you're going to hang out with all day and play Magic next to all day long. And usually at a, at a tournament this big, you'd be lucky to be within shouting distance of somebody that you knew during a round. And so sitting next to to two people that you you know that you – like enough to actually decide to spend a day with, uh, is a, it's a really unique experience that, that doesn't happen anywhere else in Magic. Uh, a lot of times you'll see people come out and play in these events who don't come out and play in individual events because the chance to come out and play with friends is really what draws them out. Um, and you'll see a lot of the, the top pros have the team that they, they like playing with. And so you see, a lot of those players want to make it out for these events. And so we thought that this was a great opportunity to have a really big event, a really exciting event and to do some fun things with it. Um, and then, you know, especially in my position, uh, the realities of what it's going to take from a logistical standpoint to make it work, um, is they, they kind of come crashing in. I've actually had judged a couple of team-sealed events uh, before for other organizers, and so I've seen firsthand just how challenging a lot of the logistics of it are and also how long it can take to just kind of trudge through the day. Um, So when we were going in, when we were working on how to attack this event, one of our biggest priorities was figuring out how to make sure that we were able to move through the day as efficiently as we could
1: okay so so what sort of what sort of things did you did you look at to to help move through the day as efficiently as you could
2: so i think the biggest one and this got a lot of publicity was pre-registering all of the pools for the main event and so we we used some technology some card recognition technology to scan in uh, all of the pools and create customized deck lists for each of them, and that allowed us to skip the, the part of the event where you sit down, you open up some packs, you pass them to the people across from you, you hope that they register it properly, and then you go through all of the cards and try and figure out if they registered it properly, and that just eats time. Uh, at the Team Sealed events that I'd been at, you pretty much had lost an hour to that, and that hour was doing something that no one wanted to do. <laughs> and so you walked You walked in the door, you sat down, and then you spent an hour just doing kind of a drudge task where you're not building your decks, you're not excited about the cards in front of you because they're not yours, and you're just kind of doing a, a a menial registration task to get to the point where you actually get to start playing in the event. And so when we started talking about it, the idea of eliminating that was really attractive, both because we felt that it would make it go faster, but also because what we were cutting out, nobody shows up to register pools. Uh, that's just not <laughs> yeah. what people want to be doing with their day.
3: Oh man, I would top
2: eight that event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, not a, there's not a magic game part of that at all. There, at least when you get to the, the deck building portion... You're you're trying to do something that's a challenge.
3: Yeah, you and, use and that then busy the, work. the top eight is sorting lands. Oh, it's mine to win.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, and then I don't know about that. top two is results of... slips, Ricky.
3: Wait, wait, who said that? Bepril?
1: Yeah, I think I think I can sort lands pretty fast. The gauntlet no. has been
3: thrown. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's on. Uh oh, Chiefy Charlotte, it's on. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's uh... GP Charlotte, I can't spare you for that long. Oh, it won't take that long. It's like forty-five <laughs> seconds. <laughs>
1: Land sorting contest. That's
3: anyone else listening? If you want to be in on this contest,
0: <laughs> feel free. I wouldn't take Tweet it at. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this this deck list thing is honestly amazing. Like, can can you share like how how fast is your card reader that it can? So we scanned uh, about a card
2: a second. Yeah, and so I mean, it, believe me, it took some time. <laughs> well, that's that's so, a lot uh, of seconds. Uh, I I want to shout out Callie Anderson for for kind of taking point on making all this happen, and then uh, we had a ton of employees who did just a bunch of work behind the scenes to make sure that we were ready for this event. Um, and so the deck list itself is something that I want to specifically call out Daniel Schoenbach. I uh, probably better known as Shoebox, Shoebox, um, <laughs> and um, so he did the the programming on the back end to turn the kind of deck files that came out of scanning the cards into the deck lists that you saw. And for for those of you who haven't had a chance to see them, the deck lists are uh, they only list the cards that are in the pool. They list how many of that card you have, and then they have the traditional played and sideboard columns. Um, And so each of the lists, each team would receive three of these lists for their pool, and each player would take one. They'd register the cards that they are playing, and it would have the full list of the pool there as well. Um, One of the great things about it was because they were all stored electronically, we could, um, we had a bunch of people who screwed up doing their list they would you know we had some people who started checking off cards in the sideboard column Mm -hmm. um and we had some people who just you know started registering backwards stuff like that and we could just jump back in and go print out another list for them that was off their pool because there was a a key code for the for the deck uh it was just a five digit number that we could go and look up and kick out another list as a player there was a moment when we were doing our our deck build on saturday morning where we realized that uh, i believe it was jess ended up with all of the cards of a certain color and he was he had a eureka moment where he realized wait a minute if i'm not playing it in my main deck it just is in the sideboard <laughs> like he could just mark all of the cards of that color as being in his sideboard yeah he didn't have was, to like you know, go check which ones were there or yeah yeah it was just he just literally just copied the numbers that were for the pool and it was fantastic experience. Another side effect of this is you didn't have to flip the deck list over because, uh, we put the battle for Zendikar and oath of the gatewatch cards together. They were just alphabetical within color. Mm -hmm. Um, the other piece, uh, is that because you're only listing the cards that are in the pool, uh, the font size could actually be much larger and the boxes for played and, uh, sideboard could actually be much larger. And that, that makes a pretty significant difference, um, for anybody who has, you know, a, a sh- at all a shaky hand, or uh, who, you know, needs glasses, or is a little nearsighted, farsighted, like if you were ever had trouble reading anything, it being a little bit bigger always makes a difference. So Missed I opportunity. Did,
3: Comics. I did Swans. actually
1: hear. Jeez, <laughs> I, I heard. I heard one complaint, and it, it was it was that wastes were in the non-basic land section.
2: Yes, <laughs> they were. <laughs>
1: that oh, was no. actually
2: something that was brought to me, and I—that's my call. You can direct them to me. Um, <laughs> okay. I wanted to—I wanted to just have the five lands that you could add as many as you wanted to uh, up in that left-hand corner, yeah. and I, we, So we chose to put the the wastes with the non-basic lands so that they had both a played and a sideboard column because the basic lands only had a played column.
1: Right. it it complete It completely made sense, and I, I think in, in it was the right call, and it, it's the natural call. But should I have I mean, just it,
2: called the last column lands?
1: Would that have solved I, it? Uh, it? I think. I think what a, what a, what my point was is it's such a trivial complaint. <laughs> if that's the only thing that they're complaining about, you guys knocked it out of the park.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I actually I'm
0: pretty good at noticing details like that. It didn't even phase something that was on my radar. <laughs> right. So I did so, the math, and assuming my math is right, which is probably isn't, uh, it's around 53 hours straight of just scanning cards. Like for I, one person, if they're doing literally one a second.
2: Uh, it was more math. than that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure it is. That's what I'm saying. If if someone could actually do one a second without breaks. Cal, uh, Liz uh, did over
2: 300 pools herself. Liz Richardson. Liz Richardson.
4: Yeah.
1: Wow. So so okay he was so, a master at it. So that's a that's a that's the big or one of the big wow things and we'll we'll probably talk like at at the event itself like what the players got uh all at, all at once but I mean you guys surely had to do like other things like you know get the get the venue coordinate mm-hmm. food vendors I don't I mean, So do
2: food is actually kind of strange because Uh, I deal with catering companies all the time and they ask me what food needs we have. And my answer is I don't have any, but my players have a lot of them. (laughs) And so we try to encourage them to offer cash concessions because we like, it's not like we're ordering food. uh, And so we don't have catering in the traditional sense, but we're putting, you know, 4,000 people in a room. Right. And so they're going to want to eat. Now, one of the things that I really liked about the, uh, Walter E Washington convention center is there were a lot of food options that were kind of just right outside, but just getting outside and then getting back in a reasonable amount of time was tough. Um, and especially with a team event where you're, you're not just, Oh, I played against an aggro deck and we finished quickly. So I had now have, I've got 35 minutes to go and get something. or I've got 45 minutes to go and get something. Um, if you play that match, but your teammate has a control deck, then you're still there for another 35 minutes. And we saw this um, with results. They almost all come in in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the round and beyond because some one of the three
3: matches goes that long. Like, you just cut your losses. <laughs> if you finish early and your teammate's playing, you are the designated food go-getter at that pun. I don't yeah, think
2: t- realize that, but that's a good plan. We, uh, <laughs> I brought a bunch of snacks for my team to try to get us through while we, when we were having those tech turnarounds, and then we had the discussion of, all right, it's really time for food. First one to win is going to go get food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, as as um, opposed to sit there and chat uh, with the people who are still playing and and make things take longer yeah. and now, get slow play.
2: We had. I-, I talked to the convention center, and we had a fair amount of concessions available. Uh, I understand that the uh, the jerk chicken was really good. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I I can usually convince them to open up something, but they usually don't understand the magnitude of what they're dealing with, and. Uh, I, at some point, a dazed concessions person will come wandering over to me and ask whether this is how it always is. And <laughs> my answer will be yes. And I emailed you
3: exactly what I was, <laughs> what we were gonna have. <laughs> uh, uh, there will be a 15-minute window when a yeah, hundred people will line up. Uh, here's here's how this will work. You're gonna be
2: crazy, and then you're gonna be dead, and then you're gonna be crazy, yeah. and then you're gonna be dead. And at some point, you're going to make the mistaken decision that because you're dead, you want to close. And then there's going to be 75 people clamoring as you're trying to close up.
3: That's right? Jerk chicken booth always seemed to have food, though. I don't. Yeah, see. they just kept making it
2: go, go, go. They did better than most of the sandwich places I've seen that usually run out of bread. <laughs> we try, yeah. we actually call like Subways and stuff like that that are close by, and tell them that we're coming yeah, in, but like. No one believes us. I don't understand. Every once once in a while, we go back to a place and we're like, hey, we're coming there again. And they're like, all right, we'll make an order.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So sidebar, still the most epic story ever was Jason Reedy for a Grand Prix Denver. Denver. That was was the best. Responsible for calling all of the places. And he got a hold of, was it? Chipotle. No, Qdoba. Qdoba, yeah. yeah. And... the the guy he got a hold of there knew what Magic the Gathering was and was familiar with Grand Prix and he's like Grand Prix's coming to Denver. All right, we'll be ready. <laughs> and this guy his his name was also Jason. Yep. And he came into the convention hall and handed out uh, free bags of chips with a coupon on it for like a five dollar dollar burrito and soda meal. And he mm-hmm. said that the that weekend he set the like regional. Yeah. Sales records. Yep. I, I remember judging that what event. a Grand Prix was, and he, yeah. he was ready.
2: <laughs> that, was, that was also the weekend where we were able to arrange delivery of Qdoba for uh, the start of Judge's breaks. Oh, It was it was so amazing. Those were I, the days. <laughs> I worked at that event, and I remember I was like, oh, my breaks, you know, round four or five, whatever it was. And I walked over to the judge area, and I was like, okay, this will be good. And I walked behind the curtain, and then I get handed a burrito – and a drink, and I'm like, this is
1: this is the life. <laughs>
4: so, so, so yeah, so let's let's talk
1: about some of the things like that from a, from a judge perspective that happened before before the event that made things really nice. So it shouldn't be a, a, a big secret. Uh, judges like to work for Star City. Um, we like judges uh, to work for Star City. Oh, it's it's a it's a a nice. I was about to say parasitic relationship, but that's not. uh, uh, What's what's the word (laughs) I'm looking for? Symbiotic is what. Symbiotic. There we go.
4: It's the other other
2: (laughs) word. Um, It was it was very difficult. Uh, Jess and I kind of originally were talking about playing, and then we. I think the, if I'm not mistaken, the format and the city were all announced first, and then the or or organizers were announced, and we're like, oh, do we do we still play since Star (laughs) is running
4: it?
1: or or do we apply so so here's so what i what I wanted to specifically call out was some stuff that that Star City did prior to the event uh, that I think just in general that tournament organizers can can really like learn learn from that and do because not not many of them do it, and it was really nice so the, the first,
0: can I, can I just say real quick? I feel like listeners are going to be surprised that not a lot of tournament organizers do the things you're about to say. Like, I,
1: I, <laughs> yes. So, so the, <laughs> fir- the first one was uh, the schedule for what days and whether or not you were on sides or like when your shift was. That was out like two weeks before the event, three weeks before the event. Three like, weeks. just see- three weeks so that yep. you knew what time to- you might not have known exactly what your responsibility was going to be. Uh, the, I, the, the, I think the ODE leads and the, the sides leads did, but you knew what time you were expected to show up three weeks beforehand, which is, uh, normally
0: you find out like a week. If maybe normally you find out for Sunday on Saturday, okay. so I've legitimately had that happen you,
2: for, for our events. Um, I go through and uh, often do this with Ricky. We go through and we, we place judges into shifts um, and we place judges onto the main. And so if you're on a main event shift, then all we're saying is you're on that main event shift. And then the head judges take that and they are able to go and build their teams and, and do, and do all of that. But we build the shell that involves side events and who's on side events. And so uh, unless you have a main event shift, you actually should have a clear picture of what you're doing uh, when we put out that kind of initial schedule. And then usually the the head judge, we, we encourage them. We try and get that to them as early as possible. We encourage them to have the shift, the uh, team assignments uh, two weeks ahead of the event
1: and and this this sounds this sounds like when when you see it in practice and when you, if you're at home and listening to this, it seems like such a a, a no brainer that you want your the people coming in to work for you to know what time they're going to show up so that you can tell them so that they can make travel plans. but honestly it gets it seems to get forgotten or deprioritized or maybe like since the schedule is one of those things that can theoretically change at the last minute, people wait to the last minute. To, to do it, but definitely, definitely, definitely really like knowing what you're going to be doing. And then the schedule itself, and this was, uh, I guess, what Kevin Dupre did, but the the schedule for who was going to be on what teams and when came out, you know, a week and a half, two weeks prior to the event yep, as well. Yeah, two weeks out. Well,
2: Which, I, I guess the Monday, go back two Mondays from the start okay. of the event.
1: Right. And normally, realistically, uh, a week prior to the event is considered a, above average in, in, yeah. and, and a day before the event is not unheard of, is not un, uncommon. So just having that information and having that uncertainty was really helpful. Uh, the other thing that was really awesome. So when I, when I show up for a, a GP, you know, one of the things if I'm if I'm show, if I'm coming in and I'm the PM shift, uh, I might show up 45 minutes early just to wander around the room and get a sense of where things are.
2: Do your recon. Um,
1: yeah, and just like it's like I need to not necessarily know see like what the vendors have or anything like that, but just and not even to meet people. It's just where's the side events, where's the Swiss events, where's the main stage. You know where where to direct things because one of the worst things to happen is the when you bathrooms where are the bathrooms and for this event. And I, th- and I, I believe at least the one previous to this, that, that I work for star city, we got a floor plan like a week prior with here's where everything is. Here's where all the, you know, here's where the judge manager is going to be, uh, what times he's going to be there. And you could just look at a map and get a visualization of the room before you even showed up. So when you walked in, And you walked right in and a player immediately asked you where Swiss events were. You didn't have to just sit there and be like, oh, I, 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 it's my first minute. I don't know. Uh. You you could actually, you could actually be like, oh, the customer service desk is way down there underneath the. The Karn banner. The Karn banner. And you didn't even have to have seen where the Karn banner was. You just knew what general direction was at point. You knew that it was there. You knew that the Karn banner was there and it was easy it was it was it was a really really nice touch that uh just shows the amount of uh, thought and care that you guys were putting into making sure that we were prepared for this walking in the door
2: yeah i try to uh i try to put the information that you need in front of you and sometimes i worry that i'm spamming <laughs> a bit uh, no. but uh the feedback i've gotten is that i i do reasonably well at keeping it relevant <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, um, so that's, that's from, from, from the judge's perspective, like the stuff that we, you know, we knew a week before the event, where stuff was, where to pick up, you know, where to check in with, with the judge manager. We knew, uh, what we were going to be doing, layout of the room, all that stuff. Now, from a player perspective, Matt, what did, what did, did you guys get any information before, before the event?
2: Yeah, it was it was very nice uh, when you first as an individual uh, because even though it was a team event, each individual player had to sign up for the tournament. Uh, and once you had signed up, we got an email from Jared, you know, personally written, you know, thanking me for registering for the event <laughs> and letting me know what else I needed to do uh, before the event, such as the fact that there would be a Google Doc that we'd be given a link to in order to assemble our our team and let them know which of the which three of the over 3,000 players that were in the tournament were, were going to be a team. Uh, and then after that on Friday, at around 11.30 at night, we received an email telling me exactly where I needed to show up to on Saturday morning to build my sealed pool. And I, I think that that was a, a fantastic touch because as we talked about earlier, there was the time that you can lose throughout the day as a team sealed event when w- Jess and Spellman and I joked when we were getting breakfast before the event on Saturday that we were just going to walk into the hall and tell somebody that we they were in our seats and be be correct because we'd already got an email <laughs> telling them where we needed to be. There, was, there wasn't there was that delay to go find the pairings boards to figure out where our build was. And that was just – I thought it helped really get the event started as close to nine as possible.
0: Yeah, I think – honestly, I think that's another like amazing thing to be able to do the night before the event. It, it just shows how prepared you guys were.
2: Well, right. one of the major advantages of uh, registration closing at 9 p.m. Uh, is that that's it. You're done. <laughs> right. Now, uh, I will say that there there was a not insignificant list of players who I actually had to send emails saying, uh, I still don't know what team you're on, so until you tell me, I can't give you a seat. <laughs> um, right. right. And they had to either email me back and say, well, I'm with – you know, Dave and Steve, or go fill out the form, uh, or just come up to us in the morning to fill to create their team. Uh, and so the way we did it was we we laid out all of the um, all of the tables for the people who had submitted teams, and then when we registered the teams and we pulled them in in the morning, uh, they would get assigned a team a table at that point in time, and then we printed out the full uh, seatings at about eight forty. To post,
1: so so that that's a okay. So how did you how do you handle that? So you've got you know obviously you should have a multiple of three players enrolled in the event, but you've got let's say three hundred players that are just kind of loose. Yeah, you know. Uh, so what was the
2: so was the process we, for getting? Them- we use a registration software that has been written and and developed by Jason Flatford, um, and i I don't know how we would run Grand Prix without it at this point um but uh for team sealed, he had to go back to the drawing board on a bunch of stuff and and create a system that could have players and then also could associate those players to teams and could do so in a manner that was fast and easy for the the admins using it but the major advantage that we have is we could have six people at the um at the stage and you could walk up to any of them to solve your problem. And so in the morning on, on Saturday, we actually had some players who had not registered, but their teammates had registered. Uh, And so they had to come and sign up and then get made into a team. And we had to take care of all that stuff. We had people who I'd emailed and said, you've got to form a team that needed to come up and form a team. So we had six people on the grand prix stage who were all at computers working on exactly the same thing. And, Uh, For anybody who dealt with DCI Reporter back in the day, once you actually kind of started moving forward, you had to take everything down to one place. And so we got a lot of kind of triage stuff uh, that we got used to doing where you'd have judges who were kind of trying to check buys or trying to – which we didn't have to deal with because it seemed sealed, which was great. Um, But, uh, you know, trying to check buys, trying to check DCI numbers, doing all of that, and then kind of funneling it all – once you had figured out exactly what the problem was, back to someone who could actually deal with it. We were able to put the people who could actually deal with it right in front of the players to start with, and,
3: and that entirely tracks back to, uh, to Flats' software. I, I think the way you deal with this, if you don't have his software, and anyone who's, judged, who's been judging for like 10 or more years would know this, is index cards. Remember those? You just That's write so down some names. Yeah, like write your name, and then like three teammates write their name, and then we'll like staple those together, right? <laughs> and we'll and we'll try and put them together. Yeah. Um, Walter
2: actually, which is the new tournament software, is actually pretty helpful at this. Um, we were the first uh, team Grand Prix to be run in Walter.
3: Oh boy, <laughs>
2: which was <laughs> was both exciting and terrifying at the same time. Um,
0: so. What what is Walter for the people? Who are-
2: uh, Wizards large tournament reporter W L T R or Walter for uh, for those who know it well. Um, <laughs> and uh, so one of the big things that that does is it allows other scorekeepers to network in. And so we had Nick Fong as our primary, and then we had Kristen Allison uh, as uh, a secondary scorekeeper, and that allowed them to do printing. Uh, from two different places that allowed them to uh, to both be taking results and do a, b- a bunch of stuff, and especially in the team sealed, we talked about how results came in really late and clumped. Um, in order to stay on top of it, you needed two top flight scorekeepers going.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so,
1: so the the morning the morning of the event. Uh, so the product was passed out, yep. uh, and specifically, now, now let's let's talk about what was handed to the players. They got... They got a, a box. They got one box. That's it. That's all, and they opened it up, and there's nothing in the box.
2: Oh, wait, there were things inside it, weren't there? Oh, okay. What's <laughs> in the
4: box?
2: <laughs> What's in the box? Uh, so uh, we, we prepared all of the sealed pools with everything that a team would need to... Um, to start their tournament. Uh, and we then put 16 of those boxes into a bigger box because 16 is the right number to do two rows. And so you could hand a judge a box of boxes, uh, and say you're going to handle these two rows and they'd have exactly the right number. Uh, when you opened up the box, you had your sealed pool, uh, that was, um, either in a slide case or we ran out of slide cases and some of them were in, um, Oath of the Gatewatch boxes out of the Fat Packs. Uh, there were three pens. There were three waivers. There were three uh, of the customized deck lists. Uh, there were... Um, and then there was a pack of lands so that you could actually build your deck. And then uh, a sleeve. And that sleeve had three one-month premium vouchers for the three players, three Stoneforge Mystic promos for the three players, and one uh, Playmat set voucher uh, that could be turned in for the three playmats of the event. Cool. And I think and that covers had, everything.
1: It had wristbands too,
2: right? Oh yeah, three wristbands. Sorry, I forgot. There was red, yeah, white, and yeah. blue wristbands because we were in D.C. Oh, and because
1: there's player <laughs> A, B, and C. So, That's... so the the wristbands. I don't I don't know if another TO has, has done this, but he I really think that this. was
2: this is this is not ours. I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I actually picked up on this when Hans Wang brought. Uh, the wristbands from grand prix beijing to pro tour um, both of the gatewatch in atlanta Um, and panda events had done them uh, for their team event and we looked at that and said that's something that's just really smart and we should do that too
1: yeah wait so so that was that was two months ago yep and so you guys you guys okay first off Oh that's what those bracelets were for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, cuz they were just like a, there was just a pile of them on one of the tables. But that's uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but but yeah, so you guys were able to see that idea and get that turned around and get that implemented in and and manufactured in less than 2 months.
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty quick turnaround. Um and uh I I think they worked out great. Yeah, I think from from the player point of view, uh you It may not come intuitively, but A, B, and C doesn't correlate to left, Left middle, right. right. That that, that doesn't work because one team is set up where A is on the left and C is on the right, and the other one has A on the right and C on the left. Yeah. So uh, just to uh, kind of talk about them for a second, uh, I don't think we actually explained. Red, white, and blue were uh, player A, player B, and player C. And so... If you had a white band, red, uh I don't remember blue, what. Blue which B. one it was? Blue was B, um, and then I think white was A and red was C. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, but basically, it allowed you to show up at the table, and you should play the person who has the same color wristband as you.
1: All right, because that's that. If I if I recall from other other GPS, other other team sealed GPS, one of the big big problems is. Uh, player a from this team played player B from this other team.
2: Yep. And another, uh, so one of my goals going into this, uh, and as I said, I've, I've been head judge for a few, um, team grand prix. And one of my major takeaways has always been that I spend a lot of my day explaining to people why they're losing the match because they sat in the wrong places. And (laughs) that's not enjoyable when we haven't done a whole lot to help them. And so um the wristbands were one thing. Uh we emailed, we emailed people ahead of time. We gave them the seats that were assigned. And I got a lot of people emailing back and saying, Well, this actually we want to have so and so in in the B seat. Um yeah. and so we got a lot of those things corrected there. Um, but basically we said, All right, we're gonna go through round one. Anyone who wants to update there, fine, but then we're cut off and you can't you can't move because we've given you plenty of chances to figure it out. Yeah, from a player point of view, like you said, we've got the emo, which which listed where we were at, the wristbands, which helped us stay stay coordinated, and then you had uh, table numbers that were set up in a way that were easier to handle the match structure and table number structure for the team event. So uh, one of the big challenges from a logistics perspective as a TO is when you set up a room, you can't just set it up for the main event and then for side events because you're going to overlap at some point, you know, ideally you want to fill the room up. And so, and even if that's not completely full, you're still going to need to transition uh, tables from main event to side events. And when your side events are individual events, mostly, and your main event is a team event, main the main event is going to use matches and that's going to be three tables, and the side events are going to use tables, which is one table. And so we wound up uh, putting together table numbers that had up at the top match 5B, and then down at the bottom it says table 14. And so
4: hmm.
2: it, you, would, you would have a match 5A, match 5B, match 5C, and that would be table 13, 14, and 15. Um, and so you could send someone to a table or you could send someone to a match. And when you came to sit down and you were player a, you knew that you sat in the a seat and you knew that you'd sit or you, you know, player B in the B seat and player C in the C seat. And so we tried to do as much as we could to avoid those issues. And I didn't hear about any of them throughout the day. Yeah. I was gonna say it was, it was quite easy. I know, uh, my team with Jess and, and and Spellman, there were a couple of times in a row where we got. We were in the same order, the same order, the same order, and that started to be our pattern. And then we showed up to a match where that wasn't. We needed to flip the person who was on the right and the left because we were at the other side of the table, mm-hmm. and it was really easy not to mess that up with the way the obviously with the wristbands, the table numbers, you know, all that made it very easy to to not screw that up and therefore earn a, a you know a game or match loss. Yeah, give, giving players the lifelines to have that not be a problem was one of our goals.
0: That's cool. So I actually wanted to take a second, and this is more team so general, but I'm, I'm curious, how do deck checks work for an event <laughs> like this? You don't check the team, right? You check two people. So it depends. I think you guys talked about that. Um,
2: I've seen it done as when you do a deck check, you actually take um, either two people, and what you do is you, you take all of, all of the decks, and you do a full check on one pair, and then you do a quick check on the other two. Um, or mm-hmm. you take more people and you just do a full match of, of checks so that everyone is is involved in it. And then I've also seen we're gonna check, you know, the player C match here and that's it. Um I'm actually not sure how it was done in D C.
1: Yeah. I was I was the deck check's lead, so <laughs> And my team was deck checked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Well that was targeted.
1: <laughs> yeah um so what what we did specifically was um we we checked uh, uh game c or 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 table c out of the match uh and the okay. reason we did that specifically was we didn't want to give the whole team an extension um uh, the we didn't want uh you know if you have three games that each get a ten minute extension odds are they're going to use that extension, whereas if one game out of it gets it, uh, Brian, less likely to. Yes?
2: Uh, quick question. Does that mean if I want to be in C, B, or A, so I'm never deck checked under your method? No, no, no. Okay, because you said you only checked the table C. Oh,
1: play. no, no, no. I said we would only check, like, C or B. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't okay, do a one and that. C. Yeah. Although, um, we did realize about, halfway through the event that the random table generator uh was only spitting out a huh.
4: <laughs>
2: Interesting cuz uh, we we I uh, I believe if I'm not mistaken that Spellman was our C uh member and he was de- he was deck checked so that's well, why I thought he's it was the shadiest guy there.
1: So, <laughs> well, sure. Well, <laughs> well, after after a while, what what was happening was because all three lists were stapled together, and we were given the table number. Since we were given the table number for A, you know, that was the random number. But since all the lists were gathered together, we we realized that well, it didn't matter whether we grabbed A, B, or C all the lists were already pulled because they were all, you know, if you pull one, you're pulling the other three. So
2: you stapled the three lists together, correct?
1: Yes. Okay. So, so we had all the information. So once we realized that the number, uh, the number was a, then we could go like, okay, well now we're just going to grab team B, you know, B or C and we, we'd get back and we'd still have the, the lists. Uh, already pulled out and ready for us and ready to go um we did have to use um an index system that was different than what was originally planned because uh so i came into this but apparently uh, players some were put their match number at the top of their deck list some put their table number so it was just kind of all over the place so where would we plan to use a uh, the match number as an index system uh, and what I mean by uh, an index system, this is maybe going too far behind the curtains, but in
0: well, that's that's what I wanted to know oh, about.
1: So. Okay, so at a at like a PPTQ or something like that, you seat all the players for the player meeting, you know, constructed event. You seat them in alphabetical order. You collect their deck lists. You're going to hmm. have them in roughly alphabetical order. Now imagine for uh, for a sealed event where people are doing registration. It doesn't matter how those people are seated. You're going to be getting those deck lists in random order. So, I'm sorry. Someone's sorry. I was
2: also going to say, also, when you're looking at the Grand Prix scale for a constructed event, where you have people who are turning their deck lists via email before the event, or you have them doing it during a sleep-in special and other stuff.
1: Right. So, when you start running into... What we've what we've found out over time, or what we've learned, is that players can write numbers rather neatly, but when they write their name, you have a lot of trouble telling letters apart. Sometimes, um, so in alphabetizing, so if you you've got to you've got to sort these lists somehow, some way, and sorting them by number is much, much, much easier than sorting by. Uh, sorting alphabetically. Well, uh and mm-hmm.
2: that's largely because you have no idea how many S's there are, but you know how many lists are between 512 and 519.
1: Right. And then sometimes you have players whose names aren't in letters that you recognize. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's just, you know, not everyone uses, you know, like Latin Latin characters or whatever or uh, you know, someone writes their name in in Russian and you're like, "I don't know if backwards k is before or after forwards k that's
0: a (laughs) strikeout isn't it
1: i I don't know so so what we do is we collect them all we we have you put your table number on it normally have you put your table number and then what we do is we have an index so when we go deck we're going to uh deck check table 31 you know in round two we say okay that's this player and this player. And then we go look on the index as to what seat they were in when they registered their pool. And then that's where we go to go find, uh, find their deck list. So it's a lot, it saves a lot of time, uh, because you can spend a whole mess of time just sitting there trying to figure out if, if McDonald is, if that's an M or if that's an MC or an MO or an MU, (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the index system. So that's, that's what we, what we used. Uh, we ended up alphabetizing the list based on the players, uh, player A's last name and using that as our index.
0: Hmm. Well That's, that's cool. I, you know, I was, I was just thinking while, while you were talking and other podcasts would be talking about like top eight and stuff <laughs> <laughs> about this event. And, and we're like, oh man, uh, index how, how did we, so, yeah. Team sealed.
3: Like let's talk about playing just for a little bit. This is the most skill-intensive format out by there. a wide margin, I think. Because the winner of this event, the team that won this event, had Mike Fron on it, who is a former Pro Tour champion, so he's no slouch. But he has mm-hmm. he has won the last three Team Seal GPs that he's played in, and for wow. two of those, his team one of his teammates was Rich Howen, who is a very well-regarded limited player. Um, they split up for this event and their teams faced each other in the finals.
4: <laughs> so there you go.
0: <laughs> I always love hearing stories like that because people are like, I don't like sealed. It's too luck based. And I'm like, you like you see the pros, I, they always do I well. I think that sealed and team sealed are different animals.
4: Th- team they're Sealed
2: completely yeah. Completely yeah. animals. The ability to differentiate yourself during deck build build in team sealed is insane. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not just about can you build the best deck possible out of these cards because I I think that you know the pros are going to get that extra 5 10% out of a sealed pool but I think that you probably get a 30 to 40% edge over an average team if not more than that when you're building a team sealed. It's just it's so hard to go through the number of iterations that you can do with how you want to configure your three decks and do you, is this a pool that really wants to just build two awesome decks that are going to try and carry the third one? Or is this one that wants Mm to, you know, do you want to go more even, uh, out of the pool or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things where, you know, how in this sideboard card is this is, you know, is the blue white deck, does that need the sideboard card more than the blue black deck? And so it's, Though all of those choices have impact over the course of the day, and then you get into a situation where you've got three people who are separating themselves from the person across the table rather than one person, and so the advantage that Peach Garden Oath has over, well, sorry Matt, over Matt Jess and Spellman, you know, is not (laughs) just in the matchup between you know Matt and Owen. It's the other two seats are there they also have a, a play advantage, and so you're just piling advantage on advantage on advantage when you've got teams who really know what they're doing uh, versus the field.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: And, and the build two really good decks thing. I think we saw that at one of the maybe the last team sealed on was, this continent it was what matt ness Hardy, and jacob wilson jacob wilson jacob wilson went, went like one like in, in 13 13 maybe like in the swiss round <laughs> yeah and and
2: i i don't know how much of that was on jacob and how much of that was we can build two decks that will win every single match and then there's some cards left over might as well try yeah <laughs> like, well <laughs>
4: th- to,
2: speaking of building and having just done it, it that was one of our challenges we did uh, we played in two of the Friday the, – both of the Friday team events to try to get practice under the clock. We brought our own packs to to crack and try to build pools. But there was nothing like the pressure on Saturday morning of trying to build your decks. Oh, and an we, hour
3: we, is not enough. It, we, an we hour to is do too damn it well. much. It's not enough to do
2: it well. <laughs> yeah, right. So we, we laid out our pack. I mean just – and I'll be as quick as I can. We laid out our packs and we were like, well – laid out our cards and we thought, like, well, this is definitely a deck. Now how do we build around the rest of this stuff? And it's just – it is very intensive. Uh, you, you definitely – the time just keeps flying by. You think you're doing OK and then you realize that you're not. And with like 12 have minutes left in the – You ever have to this- scrap a plan? Oh, god. Oh, yeah. And that's, and that's yeah. what happened to us. Is we, there's a moment where you feel like for us in each of the pools that we were building where it kind of clicked, where we felt like we had at least settled on three archetypes that we could put cards into, and they would be okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was definitely a challenge. Uh, and like you said, you have the communication. Um, one of the – I think you can gain a lot of advantage just by communicating with your teammates about what you're seeing. And that was one of the roles I took in my team is as the matches next to me and in front of me were starting to to uh, unfold, I would call out what land drops my partner on my right was seeing so that my person on the left kind of knew what they were playing against. And it was—it's definitely something to keep in mind—is how much is going on, how much information you're processing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. any any time that you're increasing the amount of information, you are increasing the advantage of people who process it well. And, and I think a lot of people may be more familiar with the pre-release two-headed giant, and mm-hmm. you, the twelve—the same number of packs. You're building uh, two decks with eight, a eight packs, not for pre-release the pre-release is twelve. Stuff. Oh, pre-release is twelve. Geez. I so, forgot that that was a miserable format.
4: It, it is. <laughs> so if,
2: if you've ever done a 200 giant pre-release and you realize just how many cards you think you have left off to the side, just think about trying to build that third deck. Cause that's really what yeah. the team sealed is, is like is you have to find a third deck out of what you have left over.
0: So. All right. So about the event itself, does anyone have anything else they want to add about it? Um, I wish I had been able to s- to
3: run in the marathon.
0: <laughs> Rick,
2: Ricky had, did have the dream of running in the marathon and then coming into work. That
3: I had. To, <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Aww. Well, yeah, I so the rock and roll just... marathon, rock and roll marathon, DC was taking place Saturday morning, <laughs> and there were which apparently wasn't closures. a major
2: problem because we didn't have a whole bunch of people come up to us and say, "I tried to cross five streets and they were all closed down."
1: Well, Ricky, yeah, Ricky would have just let... put his "will return at" sign back to you know 2 hours later 3 hours later however long it takes him to run
4: oh
3: uh, that so that was a gift from Callie Callie Anderson the assistant manager actually it, it was not a gift it was a demand on my part she said you're going to be the the judge manager for Grand Prix DC and i said no that was my first response like, well, you, you have to do it you 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 work here. You have to do something. So it's like, <laughs> do it. If you get me this sign, and it was the the flip sign that's on stores. that's one side says open, right, and the other side says we will return at, and has the the clock hands.
2: So the best so. story of the weekend was when someone walked over to me and was like, I can't find Ricky, and and we say to them, Well, he has a sign to tell you when he's going to be back. And They're like, oh! And they walk back over to his station. They turn. They come back over, and they're
1: like, it says that he's there.
3: <laughs> I, was oh, in hold the, I was usually in the vicinity if it said open. I got. I it might got have one behind the curtain.
1: I got one. One better. Uh, ben McDoyle and I show up at show up there at like two o four something like that, and the sign that it says it says I will return at two o'clock. And Ricky's over there, maybe about 15 feet away from that sign, eating, eating out of like a styrofoam container, eating his lunch. And we're just like, Hey, Ricky says you're going to be back. Uh, what, what, so give us our stuff. It says two, it's two oh five. And, uh, Sarah Ellis gets up and just walks over to the little, to the little thing (laughs) and just moves, moves the minute hand and then just to, to like, uh, to, Two ten, and then goes back and sits back down and doesn't say a word.
4: <laughs> uh,
0: so, so for for Grand Ricky, Prix what's Charlotte,
3: this? I already have my next uh, demand gift lined up. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell Callie I'm not gonna be judge manager unless she gets me opera glasses, specifically the kind of a handle <laughs> that you have to flip over. Right, because <laughs> when right. you're when you're on the stage and someone's like, Hey, have you seen Scott Marshall? <laughs> and (laughs) the room is gigantic and there's 4,000 people in it even though he's wearing the burgundy shirt because he's a support judge you can't find him there's too many people, it's too big I was like, I could really use one of those opera glasses to like, kind of zoom in on things
2: I think we may try buzzers with
3: head judges (laughs) no, no, don't do that I would just buzz buzz, (laughs) I would just buzz CJ Crooks up for no reason (laughs) (sighs) So, Hi, CJ. So, Ricky, Hi, you put CJ. something... Second best CJ.
0: He doesn't listen. Actually, he does. That's a lie. Um, Ricky, you put something about Flavor Judge here, and if that's a position, <laughs> I'm a little hurt that I was not in contacted. Well, you oh, didn't no, apply no, no,
3: no. for this event.
0: Well, I would have if I'd known Flavor Judge was a role.
3: No, so th- this Flavor, the Flavor Judge, this was something that Matt Braddock brought to the on-demand waiting area. One of the things we said about the on-demand area was that we wanted players to have a good experience even while they were waiting. That that the interactions with judges should not begin when the event starts. But as soon as they're registered and they, they sit down in this waiting area for eight people to sign up for a draft, for example, we wanted there to be interaction, entertainment, whatever. Make make the players feel like they weren't waiting. And Matt Braddock, heated this call and he brought a bunch of laminated sheets with uh these questions on it they were It said flavor judge question uh for example one of them was um the um if a if a cat token is can a can a cat token survive being enchanted by curiosity the the aura (laughs) and that was it And, and that gives you something to like kind of think about and chuckle and then you know maybe ask another player talk to the judge and be like i I think it can, or I can't, know. like, that's, Curiosity killed the cat. So he had maybe about a dozen of those, and um I'm going to ask him for the the pictures of them, and we'll see if we can get them posted somewhere, yeah. uh, because it was just a great idea. I think it was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of stuff kind of in the line of the, what happens if uh there's, uh, one of the Shadow of Innistrad cards, when it enters the battlefield, puts a, one of the artifact investigates. Right? Oh, the clue token? Yeah. The clue token. Yeah. And then the... Uh, oh. But um, and there's the artifact that shuts off, enters the battlefield, triggers, and so... Torpor Orb? Yeah. yeah torpor Orb. So what happens when when that comes in, but there's a Torpor Orb? No clue. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, the, hey! The one, the one well, I thought what was what the cleverest... No. The, the, there's a card, <laughs> a card from... <laughs> There's a card from Dark, uh, Dark Ascension called Jar of Eyeballs uh, and it's yeah. whenever a creature, you know, it says whenever a creature dies, put two eyeball counters on Jar of Eyeballs and one of the questions was um, if uh, Zhao Dun the One-Eye dies do uh, <laughs> you only get one counter with Jar of Eyeballs? It
3: was, uh... Jar of yeah, Eyeballs I think... was in the same set as Spider Spawning and those, those mother suckers have like 8 billion eyes.
0: Yeah. So, any other judges you want to mention, Ricky?
3: Yeah. Um so I what I want to start off by saying is that the the judges really brought it this weekend. I mean, they were all fantastic and I like to think it's because, you know, all of the stuff you were talking about praising us for the preparation. I think that takes a lot of uh weight off of the shoulders of the judges. Because if they can show up to an event with information already, knowing what they're going to do, where they need to go. Who they need to report to. Yeah, they don't have to worry about as much stuff. And then they can focus on serving the players, which is what they're there for. So I think like you know, Matt Braddock was able to do that because we gave him a lot of information. So he's like, okay, like now that I have this information, I got some time to think about how to entertain the players. And he came up with the flavor judge questions. Uh, Another guy who showed up big was Charles Featherer. He's a judge from the Northeast New York area, I think.
2: Magic Dad?
3: Yeah, MTG Dad, uh, I think, at MTG Dad on Twitter. And he actually, he was in the on-demand area for a lot of the weekend, and he experienced our on-demand events at the uh, Star City Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Philadelphia Open. And he came away from that experience with a lot of ideas on how things could be run better. And one of them was that he brought his own, at his own expense, you know, like five dollars. But at his own expense, it, he brought uh, the the Post-it Tab. strips. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Colored tabs. So mm-hmm. he had a uh, three or four color-coded Post-it tabs. And when people would bring, like, a draft. A, a draft that had been launched, you bring that sheet over to the on demand prizing table, the judges do. And then that's where all of those sheets live. And the players will come and they will report their results. You know, I beat Jared two zero. And then you say, okay, well you're I gonna, was screwed. You're what gonna be, do you're gonna be playing the winner of CJ and Brian Prillman.
2: And so go I go find Perlm. Yeah,
3: so I go back yeah. out, wait for you guys to finish, and then I be, you guys <laughs> come back <laughs> That's exactly that how we it <laughs> and That would work. time at the end of it, I go back and I say, I won the draft. And they give me prize tickets. So that's simple enough if you have one sheet of paper and you can just keep writing my name in the winner's column. But if you have, I don't know, fifty sheets of paper at yeah, one We time? we ran some side of it. Yeah. Because, you know, there will be, like, at any given moment, 20 drafts, you know, 10 modern constructed, a dozen commander pods, whatever. Or 113 so, commander pods on Saturday. So the judges in the on-demand Jeez. reporting station have all these sheets. And if someone comes up and says, I'm in modern 17, you have to, like, you start flipping flip, 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 flip. So the the, the conclusion of the story is Charles Featherer stuck these post-it tabs on the sides of the sheets, and then would mm-hmm. write the number on it. So you can see right there on the side, okay, modern is yellow, and then there's 17, and you just, just flip, flip right to it. it. Saves, you know, a couple of seconds for each interaction, and just just amazing. It's just, I love it because it's a simple, low-tech innovation.
4: Yeah. yeah I
2: think and it's repeatable. That's That's one of the things that's great is a lot of the stuff that we did for this event were... Were things that take a lot of resources, they take a lot of focus, they take a lot of planning. Uh, This is something that made a big, big difference with something that, you know, okay, I'm going to stop by Staples on the way to the event. Right. Yeah, I think uh, often, you know, when I'm working at a GP, I hear you have judges who may have not been on that role before, feel like they have to get the rundown from the person who's done it before. But a lot of times, when you're doing something for the first time, you see it from a different point of view and you can come up with a great idea like these tabs would, obviously were from what I have heard. Anytime that I bring somebody in that I, that I respect and they're coming in for the first time, and this happens a lot with, with European judges or with international judges who I've met at other events, and it's, but it's their first time coming to one of ours, I, I try to make a point of saying, you know, this is your first time seeing what we do. Anytime that you see something and you don't understand why we do it, please come and ask me because we do this all the time. So this is normal to us and we get immune to stupid things we're doing that we should stop doing. Like
3: flipping through 50 pieces of paper.
2: And uh, because it's normal and you know it's a system that functions, but that doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. And so when someone comes to you and says, I don't know why you're doing X. I, it's an o- opportunity to either be able to say, okay, well, here's why, and explain why you're doing it, or to just stop for a second and think, you're wait, you're right. Why am I doing this? Well, we, I mean, we just before the tab system, though, we, it's uh, the advance was from having that clipboard where the judge was wandering with the clipboard with results, yeah. and we innovated to having a station that has the results, and the players know where they're reporting, and so that we advanced at that point. I mean, pretty pretty universally.
4: And, the one of the,
2: and one of the things that happens is these things don't advance linearly. It's a broad spectrum of, of things that can each get better. And as you improve different things, something that may have worked great with another system that was happening, that system may have changed in a way that makes the the way that this is working no longer the best way to do it. And so you may have gotten to... A great answer at the time that you got to that answer, but the question may have changed.
1: Le- leaving the brackets with the players is probably one of those things that, at some point in the distant past, that was a reasonable idea. No, it
2: was never people... the right answer. I mean, people—it people <laughs> was at it, no so... point the right answer.
1: I gotta, I gotta assume that because people did it, that it made sense at some point in time.
2: No, it was easier. There's a difference between correct and easy. <laughs> All right. So uh, that that one's really interest. about priorities. And from a TO perspective, my my priority is that at the end of an event, I have a completed bracket, and that's not a priority for the players. And, and so leaving a bracket to the players to fill out, you wind up in a situation where if they don't fill out a round one match that is not relevant to them, then they don't like it's it's no skin off their back if uh but if i don't have that result then i either need to make something up which is tournament fraud um or i need to do a whole bunch of digging to try and figure it out and i may not be able to figure it out um mm-hmm. so it's uh it, it's something where you don't you have priorities that don't line up
1: so, i just figured i figured it, when when i started doing events people were constantly you know it's like are we are we leaving them at the station or are we leaving them with the players? And it was sort of like, well, I, I was always like, why do you leave them with the players? They're just going to lose
4: it. Um,
1: <laughs> yep. And and, uh, and it was like, oh, no, this is the way we did it at GPXYZ. And I was like, oh, uh, if, if that works, I,
0: I
3: guess. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Okay. In the interest of wrapping up, because this isn't where to leave the sheet cast, <laughs> uh, did you have anyone else, Ricky? Yeah. Any I'll, other innovations.
3: I'll, I'll do one more shout out to my good friend okay. Joe Huto, who he loves uh Google Docs and Google Forms and all things Jeez. Google. And just data. Yeah. And he came up he just puts... he, he came up with this this Google Sheet that he replicated the map of the Swiss size area. So the, the challenge events, the four round challenge events that we run.
2: And and that goes back to by providing the data, we got something back out of the judges. Yeah. You know, we gave them the floor plan early, and then they were able to do things with that that you couldn't have done if, if they didn't have that.
3: Right. So he he Joe, we because he had the map, he knew right down to the table numbers that would be assigned to these tables. And he was able to create this map of the side events area where, like in an index page... You type in, um, the starting na- table number of an event. So let's say you have your modern challenge and you're going to start it at table 2241. And then you have 104 players in it. So you type 104 in as well. And then on the map sheet, what, what it will do is it will take table 2241 to what? So 52 plus 52 tables and it will just highlight those. It was highlight those in a color for whatever color is designated for that event. And so now you, and it'll give you, I think, the the ending table number. So on that one thing, you know exactly how many tables are being used by that event. You know, this is something that we've done in the past by hand, and it's it's simple enough to do. But just having that sheet that you input the two numbers, the starting table number and the number of players, and it automatically calculates how many tables you're using, and then also visually shows it to you immediately and accurately, yeah. I might add. Because when I draw the maps, it always comes out kind of <laughs> like, why, <laughs> not is, to scale? why is this row shorter than the other one? <laughs>
2: um, and it's also harder, it's very hard to remove players from an event when you're oh, drawing yeah. it by hand. And so you just enter in, if you update okay, the after, after, in round three, we've got, you know, 70 players left. Okay, that means that
3: these tables are open now. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Mm, that's interesting all right so to wrap up the show uh steve do you have anything you want to say any contact information any final thoughts on the event anything at all uh, well
2: so billy Willie here uh
0: <laughs> oh, what? speaking for steve
2: speaking for you, i, have, I yes. have one other thing i want to point out um we, we've given jared ricky and all of the starsea folks a lot of credit for the planning and forethought i want to also comment on something that they did when something didn't go as well, exactly as expected uh, I My team on, with Jess and Spellman didn't qualify for day two, uh, and so we found ourselves needing to register for the Super Sunday series. Uh, Spellman had the foresight to do it ahead of time. Uh, Jess and I did not. So in the morning we came up to register and there was a rather long line to sign up for the early events. Yeah, there were three events starting at nine am. Yeah, And so with this line you know the staff of Star city immediately had a, a solution to this and opened up the customer service area. And we were quickly able to be out of line having paid for our event and just get going again on time. Uh, and that showed a lot of adaptation and quick thinking on their behalf. Yeah, I want to give a lot of credit to uh, our crew that was over in the side events area. Uh, they didn't launch any event more than 15 minutes late. And most of the events were uh, were started within two minutes of their posted Starting time, which if you've been to Grand Prix's before, that is uh, mm-hmm. that's that's a, a pretty big accomplishment. And the uh, the ones that were late were because we're decided that it wanted to eat the event.
4: Which so, is. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, just th- one thing I noticed that you guys have the walkie talkies and you were just in constant communication with each other. Uh, and, and I really think that that makes a huge difference when any location can get any information you know and kind of yeah, everybody I, has an idea of what's what's going on and like no no one was no one didn't know what was going on that was
2: or at least could find out quickly
1: r- right or they did a really good job of faking it until they found out but yeah. i mean it it was just it was just absolutely phenomenal it was just you could just ask one of the people at the start if you had a question uh you anyone you went to knew the answer <laughs> Well, we try.
2: Uh, one, I, I posted this in the, um, the briefing for the judges, but we've got a philosophy of a one-step solution, which is if the first person that you go to doesn't have the answer to your question, they know who to send you to to get it answered. So we don't want to be sending people around the room one of the worst customer experiences, and I think everyone's experienced this at some point, is when you're sent to somebody who also doesn't know the answer.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: so uh, that that was one of the the real ideas behind the customer service stage is that's a place to solve any problem. And so one of the things we say to the judges is if you don't know the answer, feel free to just send them a customer service because their job is to have all of
3: the answers or to get the answers for them. I think what Jared wants to say is we are star city games. Your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to our own. <laughs> our own. Right. Is that
0: translation? Yeah,
4: that,
3: was, that was good. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh,
0: so Jared, do you, you have anything else about the event or any contact information?
2: Uh, at jared silva on twitter uh i respond to tweets um I'm, I'm not particularly interesting to follow but apparently 500 people disagree with me <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i do the same <laughs> i only respond i i think i've made three tweets i may have made my fourth very recently um are you ricky uh you
3: can find me on twitter at mtg rickipedia that is like the website but with an r because the guy who has at Wikipedia still like hmm. makes his one tweet a year and relinquishes he, he keeps control of that account. so someday mm-hmm. i'll I'll bother to like pay him money or something but <laughs> whatever. I play magic yeah. I judge magic MtG Wikipedia
4: All
0: right and if you want to contact us, they can email us at judgecast at gmail.com, follow us on twitter twitter.com/ judgecast like us on facebook facebook.com slash judgecast. Etc. Etc. Tumblr. <laughs> one Tumblr. guy. One guy. Imager. And we got the Tumblr. Uh, no, we are not posting to Imager. We are on <laughs> Zune, Stitcher, iTunes, JudgeCast.com, MTGCast. <clears throat> one day when I die and the other guys had to start posting the show, they're gonna see we have, how much of a hassle we it is. Have absolutely <laughs> no clue how to do any of that. I've written it Judge all Guzzi out. Isn't on Tinder. That should happen. Judgecast
2: on. All right, Tinder. I'll see
0: about Tinder. I need to see about Tinder and Google Play Podcasts because that's a new thing that just came out. Like All right, any, any... No, it's Podcasts. It's like iTunes.
2: I, I, know, I know I, kind of, I gave my, my last wrap-up was more of just a shout-out. I also say real yeah. quick to any judge who hasn't played in, in an event in a long time, it's a good way to get a great point of view of what you're doing for players. Uh, I got to experience a lot of the benefits of what judges do and it was nice to get that refreshing change of point of view, and I feel like I'm going to be a better
0: judge going forward the rest of the year having played an event. Yeah, um, I'll pull a "Do as I say, not as I do," <laughs> and agree with you.
1: Uh, I, I also before before you do wrap-ups, CJ, one one thing that I we want. We just did the wrap-ups. I'm doing.
0: <laughs> shut up. Uh, you're you're in the list. You're in the hey, list. It's your turn. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. I, I
1: want to say that. You know, again, when we go to these when we go to these events, uh, it's always great to meet fans of the show. There were lots of times where I was doing end of round, and when they'd sign the match slip, one of the players would be like, "Hey, love the show," or "Do I re- I recognize your name from somewhere?" And I'd be like, "Judge Cast," and they go, "No, what's that?" And, I'd say like, <laughs> and then I'd say. I was one of the suspended judges, and they'd be like, "Oh, that!"
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but, um, but you know, to all our
0: download numbers for that episode are right. insane. Right. They beat all other episodes.
1: So, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to to all of them, uh, all the players that came up and you shook my hand or asked me to sign a bear cub or you know just wanted to talk about anything or even even you know mention that we we should re-record an episode or two uh mm. yeah so yeah uh that was that's that's all I we really really appreciate that feedback you know we we really appreciate our fans and I like meeting you guys uh guys being you know
0: <laughs> gender neutral. Gender yes neutral. we know we we we've been through <laughs> those people. emails too
1: um so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it really, it really, it really meant a lot to me. So, and it, it was, was really just impressive. Like the quantity too. So.
0: Yeah, I agree. You weren't one, there. One last, <laughs> I agree with. How do you know? Jeez. I have had fans talk to me and it's always more than I expect. It was B. Pearl and his 3,363 friends. Yeah. <laughs> Did I hear one more thing from Ricky? Yes, one more thing
3: in a yes. startling non-coincidence after we just wrapped up one Grand Prix, uh, applications for our next one, Grand Prix Charlotte, which will be on May 20th to 22nd, will be closing next Monday,
0: uh, assuming that, CJ, this all goes out this week. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> this is an amateur judge cast, you know, when you guys were in charge. like <laughs>
2: CJ will we pump it, it out it in the show notes.
0: It's also worth noting this uh, this episode's a little bit of a bonus because it's coming out a week after our previous episode, which is not how the schedule should go, but the uh release notes put us in a weird position, so I hope everyone enjoys getting this episode a week out All
3: right so if you're listening to this semi live that's not how it goes. that's not how live goes. If you're listening to this the <laughs> week that it comes out, uh please check out the applications for g p Charlotte. We expect that one to be as large if not possibly a little bit larger than D.C., and we'll need just as many fantastic judges helping us out. Yeah,
2: and I'll, event. I'll also toss out, uh, it's going to be modern weekend, and so Grand Prix Charlotte is opposite Grand Prix Los Angeles. And so Channel Fireball's applications for um, Grand Prix L.A. close on Monday as well, I believe. So whichever coast you're on, and you, know, you want to come hang out with us, you want to go hang out in L.A., Whatever you want to do, make sure that you get your applications in and make sure that uh, we've got a chance to bring you.
1: Is, is there a friendly rivalry between between y'all guys as far as like you know who's going to get who which judges?
2: Uh, so we're we're it's definitely not... going to be talking if there are judges who apply to both and you know if you, if you're up in the air between the two of them, there's no problem putting in applications to both of them. We're going to reach out to. Any judges who cross over and and make sure that we get their priorities before we make any decisions, but uh, we're going to be coordinating about that. There's no
1: there's no issues around it. So can I start a rumor that there's some issues around it? Go
2: for it. Go for it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure that rumor whitey. exists. They're I, I expect that to be a uh, a rather impressive weekend between the two oh, organizers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I there's Brian. somebody who's going to be in red for that event. I think. Well, you have C.J. Crooks at your, at your event. Yeah, yeah, but there's some there's some other guy from Florida. He's out in L.A., though. I think. Uh, <laughs> yes, I uh, I have been asked to uh, help oh. Carlos Ho <laughs> and Toby like Elliott. <laughs>
3: Ricky's got this puzzled expression on his face. I'm sorry. Yes, Billy Willie in Burgundy is a support judge in Los Angeles.
0: Very cool. Fantastic. Yes awesome Brian did you apply for Charlotte or is it daddy daughter it dance? is
1: it is my my daughter's uh like gala thing where they
0: where okay
1: are, uh, are you
2: dancing to... with her pro
1: no not this weekend it's like uh it's when you guys come to Orlando SEG Orlando is yeah. uh daddy daughter dance day
3: of course it is June 18th. of course 19th yeah Nineteenth. Yes. well
1: father's day right Right, I mean, there's there's really no no way I could get it. It's it's daddy daughter dance
0: day on Father's Day.
2: Well, we're gonna have a staff member out there with a video camera, so it's cool.
1: Don't worry about it. Hey,
0: yeah, that'll be fine. We'll we'll get it covered. Uh, Uh, Okay, tickets are
1: like fifteen dollars. You can you know that is well worth the price of (laughs) admission. Brian,
4: put that in the budget.
0: Yeah. I've paid more for less. All right. Well, I applied. I applied for Charlotte. So assuming these guys accept me, uh, you might be able to come out and see me. I don't remember what Jess said his plans Ricky were. He has
2: put money on the table. <laughs>
0: Jess
2: will be joining me in L.A.
0: Oh, man. All right. Well, he might just be me at Charlotte. Already the fight has started.
2: <laughs> we're, split, we're dividing Judge Cast. That's
3: all right. You guys can come back wow. together
2: and talk. So It'll be a good episode. Eight, Civil
1: War meme,
3: yes, for, uh, uh, for that glasses. To happen. Wait, what am I supposed to do? Rick, tell them about the opera glasses on Judge Cast after you go to Charlotte. It's gonna be glorious. I will,
0: I will. All right, I think we got in this. So, <laughs> you say for the ninth time, <laughs> no, it's the first time I said it out loud. All right, so thank you guys so much for being on. We really do appreciate it. Um. It's always a great episode when we can have you all on, even you, Billy. We... Aww, aww. Hey,
2: we love uh, coming on. All right. We love the judge cast. It's
0: awesome. Yep. Now I love this awkward part that Brian's about to do because my name's Cedar Trader. I keep it fair. I keep it fun. Ah, you guys hear your name?
1: What? Oh, I'm Brian Ferlin. I keep. I never do that part. I was just. I'm I know. I'm Brian I keep it fun.
0: Nope. It's...
1: Nope. Got nothing. Nope. You can say I, I keep it kind of
3: alive. I'm Ricky Hayashi. You don't no. keep it far farfugnugen i'm jared silva i keep all of the
2: robots in line (laughs) uh i'm billy willy and i'll keep impersonating just
1: dunks (laughs) we
0: don't get the bumper you'll get it i mean you don't hear it but it's there that's not how it works, CJ. That's exactly how it works. That is literally how it works. <laughs> I don't believe you.
3: Just just hum a few bars. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know it's gonna go in the uh the end of show thing. All right.
1: All right. That's actually the sound that CJ made is actually how I explain HCE to people. <sighs> <laughs> If they ask me a question I'm just like (laughs) 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 Thoughtsies